millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. States are unreliable experiences. You know, this thought, this feeling, this sensation, they're very transient. What really matters are the traits we acquire over time. Traits of positive mood, traits of love, traits of will, traits of motivation, traits of grit, traits of moral commitment. This is what we really want to have inside us as we go down the long road of life. And for me, this process of state to trait, of cultivation, is the essence of self-reliance. We're resilient because of our inner resources. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. My name is Poppy Jamie, a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. Like the app, this show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream. Visit mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax, focus and move or find their music on any streaming platform. Let's crack on with the show. On today's show, I have a true idol of mine. I have spent years reading his books. He's the psychologist and New York Times best-selling author of Hardwiring Happiness, Resilient, Buddha's Brain, Just One Thing, and his latest book, Neurodharma. He's lectured at NASA, Google, Oxford, and Harvard, just to name a few, and taught in meditation centers around the world. He's the founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience. It is a true honor and privilege to have Rick Hansen on today's show. I am such an admirer of your work and your books have always been a light for me because they've balanced science and wisdom, which I found captivating because usually people are one or the other. Um, so where did this interest in combining wisdom and science come from? And when did you realize it, a, it was even possible um, and, that, and that science was capable of proving things that humans have been advocating for for thousands of years? What an interesting question. Um, I think my interest in that was completely pragmatic, um, both in terms of my own suffering and happiness and in the suffering and happiness of others. So I've been working with people really since my late teens, actually, and then in an increasingly professional way for well over 30 years. And so in terms of that, you're looking for what helps, what works. And so when you bring together uh, the perennial wisdom of the ages from around the world, so many sources of this, and you combine that wisdom with cutting edge modern science, hard-nosed, clear-eyed, just the facts. When you put those two together, then you have 
fantastic insights into our own consciousness, our own mind, our own experiences, moment to moment to moment. And then you can work back and forth, which is so wonderful. You can work in terms of your own, and I mean work in a loose sense in terms of practicing. You can practice with your experiences just from the inside out. You're just engaging your experiences. You can also take into account what your body is doing. By understanding a little more about your hormones and your immune system and, and other systems in your body, and notably what's happening in your nervous system, especially your brain. So you can go back and forth and you can start to think about, huh, if I focus my attention in this way, if I let my attention rest in a feeling of positive connection with another person, I'm actually gradually hardwiring, in effect, the residues of that experience into physical changes in my own brain. So by stimulating certain kinds of key circuits and physical processes, when you understand a little more what's going on under the hood, inside the coconut, as it were, when you understand that, then you can stimulate those underlying neural physical networks. And in the process of repeatedly stimulating them, you can strengthen them. So then increasingly, you have the fruits of your practice, you have the results of your efforts with you wherever you go which is, of course, particularly useful when a lot of things that sort of kept you going or propped you up from the outside are no longer here. Do you think there is a line where, for example, spirituality and science don't mix? Or do you actually always think there is this kind of congruence between them? My own interest in this really began uh, when I was young, uh, late, you know, just at the tail end of college, I was 21. And I, on a whim, I thought, oh, I'd like to learn about Eastern philosophy and, you know, spirituality. And I learned a lot there. Then I have looked elsewhere. So that kind of set me on my journey uh, to, you know, of putting the two together. In terms, though, of the appropriate distinctions between them, the province of science is ordinary reality, the Big Bang universe, which is full of all kinds of wild stuff. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And which has many things that science cannot prove or disprove. For example, science cannot prove that you, Poppy, love someone. They can't prove that or that you don't love someone. There are so many things that are actually true that are beyond the can of science, first point. Second, what lies beyond, perhaps, meaningfully distinct in some way from ordinary reality, which for me is the realm of the supernatural and the transcendental, 
ultimately, ultimate reality. Uh, whatever that may be, if it bees it all, right? I can understand the position of a serious atheist who says, nope, stay inside ordinary reality. And my view is, okay, that's fine for you, myself, like so many others. I'm interested in what may lie beyond in my own experience and intellectual reasoning is that there really is something more than this stuff, all right? But whatever that may be, supernatural or transcendental, it's impossible for science to uh, dispute it or prove it or do much of anything at all. And I think it's a major category error that people stumble into routinely. And I have no difficulty uh, in combining the two. And to me, it's just a truly scientific attitude to respect mystery, to respect possibility. And you may know this kind of saying in science, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And I feel that, yeah, exactly right. And you see these people kind of dressed up scientifically with their PhDs or white lab coats or who knows what, arguing dogmatically against the possibility of what may lie beyond the ordinary universe. And I say, that's a not scientific attitude. You're wrapping yourself in the cloak of authority from science while being actually in the moment profoundly unscientific. I love that. No evidence is not evidence. Yes, that is so brilliant. So you're, you are one of the world leaders in educating us about positive neuroplasticity. And I know um, a lot of people probably do know what that is, but I would really love kind of a recap from you, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, it's a fundamental idea uh, that we can actually change deliberately the structure and function of parts of our brain in good ways that leave lasting traces behind. So for example, uh, if a child learns to walk instead of crawl, that's positive neuroplasticity in action. If an adult learns how to be maybe more patient with their partner, I work on that uh, continually, I at least try to, uh, <laughs> or you know, that too is a, a process of learning. Any process of learning, healing, growth, and development that's beneficial is uh, evidence, in a sense, of underlying positive neuroplasticity. The core of our being is like, an, it's like a temple. If we walk through the temples of others, the churches, the cathedrals, the synagogues, the sacred ground, we respect them. We often don't actually respect our own inner temple. And yet we have the opportunity to tend to it, to respect to it by not indulging in negative preoccupations that don't help us in others, by not holding on to our resentments against other people. We can respect it by not harming it, and we can develop it. We can grow the good inside ourselves in very practical ways like grit, determination, resilience, uh, respect for others. We can grow these qualities inside ourselves, and no one can defeat us. No one can stop us from learning and growing a little every day. This was a profound, just hopeful insight for myself when I was a late teenager in the middle of deep despair about what a miserable, neurotic person I was. Wow, we can always grow every day. But it's also true. No one can do the work for us. So how are we changing our brain when that happens? Well, there, there are multiple ways. The classic line is neurons that fire together, wire together. This is the saying based on the work of the Canadian psychologist in the 1940s and 1950s. So there's been a real understanding of this for quite some time uh, that, you know, mental activity, which uh, uh, is supported by neural activity, 
when there's repeated neural activity, it leaves lasting physical traces behind. So among the mechanisms of that are new connections form, neurons start wiring together. Existing connections can be strengthened or weakened depending on the uh, experiences a person is having or the mental training that that person is doing. People who meditate uh, a lot, 10,000, 30,000 hours over the lifetime, have increased gamma range uh, activity in their brain, which is really fast, 30 to 100 times a second, synchronization of millions of neurons firing together 30 or more times a second. And, and that gamma range activity is associated with uh, feeling integrated and whole and learning more rapidly from the experiences you're having. If you struggle from meditation, what other kind of activities have that, you know, have positive impacts on the brain so you're evolving your kind of positive neuroplasticity? Just about anything you do that starts with a beneficial experience of any kind. Your cat crawls in your lap. Oh, that feels good, right? Uh, you come home after a heavy, a hard day and you plop and uh, you let go. It feels good. And that's why I think that while I believe in formal practice, like meditating and uh, things like that, really anything, life is full of opportunities dozens of times a day to slow down, to appreciate some beneficial experience you're having, often mild, always real though. It's not more than what it is, but it's not less than what it is. And then slow down to take it into yourself. So if you don't care for meditation, um, maybe while you're doing regular activities, just try to help yourself settle down, kind of calm down and, and return. You know, our daughter's friend in junior high school said to her, Laurel, remember your happy place. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you come home to yourself. I think of it as a coming home to ourselves. Any one of those is really good for us. So I thought what was really interesting is is the point you make where I think it was in the Buddha's brain. You say we're not particularly hardwired to feel happiness, but we're hardwired to feel love. Yeah, yeah. And then I think in hardwired for happiness was yeah. really focusing on on the, our negative bias. Yep. So I just thought, thought that was interesting is that we have oh. these ancestral instincts. One is way towards negativity, but then also we also are very much inclined to love. That is a wonderfully astute comment. I've done a zillion interviews. No one has ever put those together. And I really appreciate that, including the way you did that from two separate books. So really fast, a lot of material here. On the one <laughs> hand, the brain has what scientists call a negativity bias. Okay. This is what you know already. And I say we've got a brain that's like Velcro for bad experiences, but Teflon for good ones. That was really useful back in the Stone Age or Jurassic Park uh, to really focus on never being eaten today by some predator. And eh, if I don't find some food today, I'll probably find some tomorrow. Okay, that's true on the one hand. And it's a generalization. There are little exceptions to it, but it's a really primary finding. So for me, the takeaway is, number one, appreciate what is difficult, what is challenging, what is real. Have compassion for it. Hold it in spacious awareness, but don't marinate in it. Don't reinforce it. Our brain is very vulnerable. The temple of the brain is very receptive to the stains, if you were, of just ruminating negatively. Second, um, pull out of that as best you can, that moment of upset, not by resisting it, but by turning to what else is true and by helping yourself disengage from it, 
draw upon resources outside you and inside yourself to cope with it, to move through it, to, to disengage from it. And then in particular, when you are having those moments of just happiness or gladness or accomplishment or, or of worth, right? Really rest in them so you build up those resources inside yourself for the next time. All right. Now, the other part, really fast, love. You're right. My view is that to draw on the parable, that inner heart is two are two wolves, one of love and one of hate, metaphorically speaking. If we hate the wolf of hate, we just reinforce it. Uh, we can't, you know, that it's not effective. On the other hand, we can kind of restrain the wolf of hate and not feed it so much. Meanwhile, we can really nourish the wolf of love. So the reason I say that love is more powerful than hate in our biological nature, I'm not saying some kind of airy-fairy, woo-woo kind of claim. If you look at human beings, it's said that our primary adaptation really is not so much standing tall, not so much having color vision that's really quite amazing. It's our primary adaptation is to group living because it was only through the group that our ancestors could survive literally for 300,000 years as our species. And then another easily 2 million years before that, manufacturing tools, and then our primate ancestors even farther back in time. It was only through living in groups that humans could survive. I mean, this is profoundly our nature. And I think it's especially important, you know, to remember the wolf of love these days and to have more courage to stand up for the wolf of love in the face of those who would use the wolf of hate, the appeal of grievance, and tribalistic us-against-them rivalries to support authoritarianism of various kinds. Interesting. This is like a wildly, like, not on my question list, but it just feels relevant. Um, Where do you see kind of us evolving to in the sense Mm. that if we've kind of come from this and we're now at this point of almost self-actualization as kind of what Maslow suggested we'd all be at, where do you think we're going and how do you think we get there? My deepest hope is that in the 21st century, we can appreciate that there is one and only one human tribe. Uh, People prefer a different word than tribe. There's only one human band and uh, we are in it together. And my hope is that We can expand the sense of the circle of us, which in our evolutionary history until agriculture occurred around 10,000 years ago, the circle of us involved around 40 or 50 people that you lived with most of your life, occasionally interacting with other bands, sometimes in very hostile ways, right? So my hope is that we can expand our natural sense of the circle of us from 40 or 50 people to all soon to be 8 billion of us on this planet. When you feel safe enough, satisfied enough, and connected enough, the traits of peace, contentment, and love, which will then reduce a lot of the craving, to mark the Buddha's second noble truth, that will reduce the, the craving for you know uh, defeating all enemies as a kind of craving, or the craving to accumulate possessions as a kind of craving, or the craving to dominate other people, or to you know get to impress them all day long. And a lot of that is what that kind of craving is driving the planet to the brink, certainly driving our species to the brink. So my hope is that we can internalize these experiences and rest in the green zone, I call it, increasingly, so that if we get a billion brains on green most minutes of most days, I think the planet will tip 
in a wonderful new direction. Just for everyone, what um, how do you define your green your green zone and red zones? Mm. Yeah, it's a loose term, uh, but we know the difference between, let's say, red zone, feeling stressed and alarmed and panicky or preoccupied with anxiety or frustrated uh, or driven or feeling disconnected or like uh, our relationships always on thin ice. That's the red zone. And in which the stress hormones in the body (laughs) move into full flood, cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, um, that's the red zone. And we're designed to go into spikes of red zone stress to get away from the charging saber-toothed tiger or the aggressive alpha male or female in our band. Okay, there's a place for the red zone, but a little of that goes a long way. And the problem with modern life is that we live in the pink zone, if you will, much of the time. We're not running usually from a saber-toothed tiger, although some people these days and uh, certainly are dealing with a lot of things like that. On the other hand, the green zone, is when there's a sense of basic okayness. You know, maybe you're on the edges, you're a little irritable or you're just tired or you're dealing with a lot. But in your core, there's this happiness, as you talked about in the very beginning, a resilient well-being in the core of yourself where you feel a sufficiency of needs met. So how do we, in the middle of a crisis or what we deem or perceive to be a crisis, how do we stay in the green zone? Well, practice helps <laughs> over time. And that is sort of like what you practice off the field is what you draw on when you're playing in the game of your life. So there's a place for practice and looking for the gradual accumulation of a breath here, a minute there, maybe 10 or 20 minutes in some kind of formal practice, gradually adding up. Not a, not a ton. You don't have to go to a cave in Tibet and meditate all day long. You know, But as you accumulate, the benefits of your practice, yeah, you have them increasingly with you. And then I try to have a sense of perspective. Epidemics, pandemics have swept the world before. People have dealt with really hard things. People are dealing right now today with really hard things around the world that I don't have to deal with. A lot through my privilege of various kinds and uh, the accumulating benefits of privilege. And I really try to have a sense of perspective on all this. And um, meanwhile, keep in mind what is also true. Yes, there is this hassle. Yes, there is this loss. Yes, there is moral outrage at the failures of leadership, certainly in my country at the very highest levels that are killing people as we speak with each other right now. So that's true. And it's also true that children are laughing somewhere. Uh, It's also true that I'm trying every day. And I can appreciate that without getting vain or cocky about it. Uh, It's also true, clearly, that you, Poppy, are helping a lot of people. That's also true. It's also true that in my backyard where I live, these golden squirrels are running around looking for food and arguing with each other about what they can get. That's also true. And keeping that in view, rather than having attention narrow as it tends to with the negativity bias, to the one red light or the many red lights flashing on the dashboard, let's keep in mind so many other lights that are solid and steadily green. Mm, That we so easily forget. And for everyone, um, Resilient is a fantastic book of Rick's that really addresses how to, um, and 
what I love what you've done with your books is that there's there is a real journey from each of them and you learn these different tools right from the Buddha's brain up until um, your latest one, Neurodharma, which we're going to talk about. But Resilient is a particularly useful one in this moment in time. Um, and you talk about internal resources. And I thought it was, you know, really interesting in terms of, I think a lot of people participate in you know, human potential, personal development, but they kind of, it's like a graph almost that goes up, down, up, down, up, down, and they kind of see a bit of an improvement and they go down a bit. And you really create a solution for kind of how can you kind of keep this improvement escalating up? I would love you to kind of explain that a bit further. On the one hand, states are unreliable experiences. You know, this thought, this feeling, this sensation, they're very transient. They're impermanent, in other words. Uh, they're pretty unreliable. States come and go. And they're pretty easy to generate, actually. It's pretty easy to, unless you're severely clinically depressed or physically really ill or in overwhelming pain, it's fairly easy to help yourself or just it naturally occurs, some positive, some emotionally positive experience. They're pretty easy. But they wash through us like water through a sieve. What really matters are the traits we acquire over time traits of positive mood, traits of love, traits of will, traits of motivation, traits of grit, traits of moral commitment. This is what we really want to have inside us as we go down the long road of life. And for me, this process of state to trait, of cultivation, is the essence of self-reliance. Because as we grow resources inside of various kinds, resources is a fancy word. I, I think of them honestly as inner strengths. Um, as we grow these inner strengths, which include skills of different kinds, skills with our own minds and skills with the minds of others. In other words, interpersonal skills. As we acquire these, they help us be more successful. They help us make more money. They help us be you know, more fulfilled and, and reasonable in our relationships. And they give us so much more inside that we can offer to others. Uh, and I think it's really useful for people to ask themselves, what inner resources am I trying to grow these days? What would really be helpful for my friends or others uh, to have more inside myself these days? And then you can deliberately look for ways to grow them. And then as you have these strengths inside, that's what you draw upon to be resilient. We're resilient because of our inner resources. Can you give me an example of a, an inner strength that we could all benefit from growing? Well, I think one inner strength that's really useful in general is to be able to recognize that there's a being behind the eyes in the other person. Just mm -hmm. that, as simple as that. You're walking down the street, and someone walks past you, do you see them as an it or a thou? Right? In Martin Buber's phrase doesn't mean you agree with them or like them. You may want to keep your distance from them for some kind of reason. But can you recognize that there's a, a being over there who feels, who longs, who doesn't want to die? Uh, there's a being over there. That's a strength to cultivate. Another strength is mindfulness of what your fingers are touching. Uh, that's a mindfulness practice that's been forced upon us. What are you touching out in the world and what are you touching on your body? That's a strength. Another strength, I think, um, is a sense of perspective that can look a year out or a hundred meters out rather than just being trapped in the moment. 
a sense of perspective. We will get to the other side of this. Uh, most of us will. What world will we be in in a year or two from now as this you know, storm finishes sweeping around the world? Um, can we see the longer view? That's a strength to develop these days. It's so hopeful to realize that you can gently and skillfully influence who you are becoming. We are being continually influenced into who we are becoming by external forces or the internal forces of our reactions that we acquired when we were young. And a lot of the, those influences are not beneficial. They're not good for us. They're not good for others. So the question is, do you want to take charge in some fundamental way of who you are becoming? Do you really want to own it and be responsible for it and exercise the influence you can? It's, it's limited, but each day we can nudge who we are becoming a little bit in a really good direction, including in part through letting go of things that are burdensome or harmful uh, for ourselves and others. I actually wanted to touch on a point um, uh, that um, you wrote, um, we are much more um, more vulnerable to get hurt when we're little because we our thinking brain isn't working. Um, and also we're much more vulnerable to be hurt if we're trusting could you explain that a bit further? I thought that was fascinating. Well, again, I love how you framed it, uh, the, the aspect of trusting, right? Uh, we're, the brain is designed to be changed by experiences, especially negative ones, particularly negative ones when we're little. And, oh, my goodness, negative experiences when we're little that involve other people. We are primed to learn from those experiences and to just ground it in evolution. Think about how critically important it is for a baby or a toddler or, you know, let's say a three or four year old back in the Serengeti Plains 100,000 years ago to very rapidly learn what makes other people angry, uh, what makes them physically aggressive with you. What are the conditions outside yourself that uh, really are worth paying attention to? So we're designed in that way. And it's very poignant. And the takeaway first to me is to uh, stay aware of our profound duty to children. We have a profound moral duty to them. They're vulnerable. We brought them into this world. We inflicted consciousness on unsuspecting flesh. We have a great duty to them. Uh, and to appreciate that the people who care for children, particularly women who do most of the who do all of the bearing and most of the rearing worldwide of our children, we have a duty to them as well, if only out of enlightened self-interest, to do the best we can for the people who are raising children, which can include as well supporting their relationship with each other. So um, you know, that's to me a huge takeaway. And then at a personal level, to Due to your deepest layers, the psyche is laid down sort of like a house built from the bottom up. You know, the basement layers inside your own mind are the youngest layers of all. And you can feel them. You can experience them today. So can we be with ourselves, and including the deepest layers? We could say the inner child. I, I'm fine with that phrase. It can be trivialized somehow. But the younger layers of our psyche, can we be with them today as would have been so good? for others to have treated them many, many years ago. And in the process of that, we can heal, we can repair, and uh, we can release old pain and we can gradually help beneficial experiences, in effect, sink down and touch the youngest layers inside us, 
which is a process you know I've engaged in my own life that's been deeply healing for me and which anyone can do as they influence who they are becoming each day. And this um, is the focus of your new book, uh, which I know there's the one element um, about healing old pain. Um, And what was the, why did you want to write this latest book? Because you've covered so much ground. What was it that you really felt needed to be told in this book? Uh, So the latest book is Neurodharma. And the subtitle kind of says it all. New science, ancient wisdom, and seven practices of the highest happiness. So we develop the resources inside that promote the highest happiness, uh, the upper reaches really of human potential, uh, which are so valuable in everyday life, you know, when you're dealing with lots of difficulty, we develop these qualities inside by repeatedly practicing them. So this book for me is a culmination. Uh, It combines the coolest, neatest, most current brain science with the great wisdom of the ages, particularly the tradition that I know best, which is, I think of it as roots Buddhism. It's the original teachings of the Buddha, which are highly psychological, highly practical. They're not particularly mystical or woo-woo or airy-fairy. And so they have a lot of uh, integration with modern science. They can be put together. So the Neurodharma book for me is a culmination book. It really is about the uh, deepest, most profound things I know that are so useful in everyday life and also useful for the upper reaches of human potential. If you think about it, um, you know, what's the, what is it like to be, you know, uh, as happy and as strong and as loving and as wise as a person can ever be increasingly continuously. And there are people who have practiced that the saints and sages throughout history and others, we can learn from them and we can develop, as I do in the book, I have a related online program in which that's very, very experiential. Uh, people can really, really develop these things. They can, in fact, every day become a little steadier in their mind. That's the first one, steadiness of mind. Second, they can warm the heart, right? They can develop compassion and kindness and a courage that can assert with others without letting hatred invade their mind. The third one is, I call it resting in fullness. How can we establish emotional balance? How can we find equanimity? How can we have a sense of contentment already? Um, I did not invent these practices. I've really pulled them together and I've reverse engineered what their basis is in the brain plausibly based on what we know already or can reasonably suspect, right? And then the, those are the first three, steadiness, lovingness, fullness. You can feel them. We can all have a taste of them and we can perfect them over the course of our life. Then the next three are a sense of wholeness, being whole as a person, accepting yourself fully, not having inner conflict, not being divided inside, receiving nowness, the front edge of now, really being in the present moment before too much suffering and fussing and feuding has had time to sink its roots, while in the sixth practice, opening into allness, having a sense of interdependence, interconnection, feeling supported by life, and all of the vast network of causes that have brought this moment into being, feeling supported by them rather than separated from and at war with them. And then the last practice, the seventh practice, is finding timelessness, a sense of the possibility, the spaciousness, the vastness, even the mystery that is wrapping around and entwined with ordinary reality. 
So those are the seven, and the book is a, a really a straight shot for developing them, kind of no holds barred. I'm not kidding around. It's really good for people that are new to practice because it's friendly, it's accessible, it's scientific, you know, it's you know grounded in reality. And for those who've been doing a little bit of practice, maybe a bit of mindfulness for a while, a bit of meditation, or just maybe they've gone through psychotherapy or something, you know, they've been listening to your phenomenal uh, podcast and they're interested in intermediate or advanced practice for real, this is a really great book for them. I'm so excited. And for everyone, I will put links uh, to the book in the show notes as well as all the other ones that we've discussed today. Um, So um, in light of time, um, I would love to finish the sentence round. Before I go to sleep, I... I also try to help myself drop into the green zone. Uh, kind of review the day, shed those little red tangles that are still bubbling away in my mind, disengage from them, and drop into a sense of peace, contentment, and love. This is our home base. So come home. Come home before I fall asleep. Best piece of advice I've been given is? Keep on learning, right? Keep on growing. When I feel insecure, I? I try to be aware of it, and then tune into the parts of me that feel cared about by others, uh, that recognize that what I'm feeling insecure about probably doesn't matter very much actually in the broad sweep of my life, let alone you know human history or the age of the planet, uh, and uh, turn toward uh, acting in the best way I can. So if I need to clean up a mess, do it, or take some action, do it. But mostly just try to find also that underlying sense that I think is universal in all of us of natural goodness, natural wisdom, natural enoughness that's inside us all and take refuge in it, you know, tune into the feeling of it. That's really lovely. As I've gotten older, I've realized. I've realized more and more that I actually am a good person. I didn't know that when I was young and I've actually realized it more and more. If you really knew me, you would know. That I am like a goofball. (laughs) 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 That uh, I am kind of a goofball and I'm deeply playful, actually. So you would know that. That is so excellent. Um, Honestly, Rick, thank you so much for your time. It's just been such an insightful and interesting interview. And I really love your work. I'm a huge fan. Um, Where's the best place um, for people to find you on social or uh, digital? If you could shout those out, that would be great. Oh, thank you. Very simply, uh, rickhanson.net, H-A-N-S-O-N, rickhanson.net. That's where people can find tons of freely offered resources that can all find a number of very well-structured and very affordable online programs. We're very happy to give scholarships out to people. We give a lot of them to people who are in significant financial difficulty. So those are the online programs, as, as well as many talks, meditations, videos, lots and lots of good stuff at rickhanson.net. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast. You can find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram. DM me questions or any guest suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you have a moment, download Happy Not Perfect. It's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress, anxiety, sleep, and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. 
see you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.